Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast. It's a show filled with family history research strategies and techniques, news and entertainment, and inspiration. And I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello and welcome to Genealogy Gems Podcast episode number 185. This month, all of us here at Genealogy Gems are celebrating reaching a milestone, 1,000 blog posts on our website. And we're not just celebrating our genealogy writing, we're celebrating yours. Today, I have a special segment that celebrates what you have shared with us about your adventures in family history blogging. I also have a short, fun family history writing challenge to share with everyone, not just those of you who are blogging. And I'll introduce that challenge with a surprise guest, the Poet Laureate of Kentucky, later in the show today. But first, let's cover some genealogy news. Um, Some of the recent things going on. Have you noticed on our blog that every Friday we report new genealogy records online? I hope you're checking that out because that's the newest and the latest. Well, last week was a doozy in terms of U.S. marriage records. We've heard through the grapevine that FamilySearch had set itself to the task of tracking down every possible marriage record for the U.S., and it looks like that they're really having some success at this. At FamilySearch alone, last week, they published or updated indexed marriage records in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, New Hampshire, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, and Washington. Louisiana's collection alone contains over a million entries and Pennsylvania's dates to the 1600s. But FamilySearch isn't alone in the marriage record publishing frenzy. We noticed that Ancestry has just added new marriage indexes for West Virginia, Maine, and Jackson County, Missouri. Of course, not every ancestor who married stayed that way. Ancestry has also updated its Idaho divorce collection, and they've added a new collection of Oregon divorce records. A lot of these are older, but you'll be surprised at how far into the 20th century that some of these new marriage record collections are. These are perfect for recharging your research if you've stalled somewhere on your U.S. family tree. Also for U.S. researchers and very popular on our Facebook page is the welcome news that the National Archives in this country has signed contracts to digitize more of its historical records. The partnerships in question are with FamilySearch and Ancestry, not a big surprise, and the records in question will include various items with births, marriages, deaths, immigration, and military service information. So the National Archives has partnered with these organizations in the past, but this time around, the contract allows them to get records online faster by uploading digitized and partially digitized collections before they're even indexed, like FamilySearch already does. And there are new provisions to protect personally identifying information, and Ancestry will have a shorter window of exclusivity with their content. They invest in record digitization and indexing, so they will have exclusive access to the images and the indexes for a period of time, after which the National Archives can put the material on its site and share it with their other partners. It's really a win-win, even for those who don't subscribe to Ancestry. So we'll just have to wait a little longer to win, that's all. And FYI, in case you wonder why FamilySearch and Ancestry seem so favored, 
the U.S. National Archives does sign content partnerships with other companies. Find My Past has a contract pending, and there's also a contract for military records with the site Fold3. And I've got some Roots Magic news for you. First thing, I want to let you know that I recently heard two really great pieces of news about Roots Magic genealogy software for Mac users. First, Roots Magic Essentials for Mac software is now available for free. This is the get started version of Roots Magic, which introduces you to this terrific family history software. If you're still exploring which family history software is best for you, I would definitely recommend giving Roots Magic Essentials a try. And of course, they're a fabulous sponsor of this free podcast. They help keep it free. And if you decide to upgrade to the full paid version of Roots Magic, uh, that transition is really seamless and easy. And speaking of a full Mac version of Roots Magic, you may recall that last year they launched Mac Bridge for Roots Magic. And this was a really great step forward, but there was an additional fee and it required extra steps to download and use. So a little problematic for some folks. But now when you buy Roots Magic 7, you can install it on both Windows and Mac computers in your household. So your single purchase includes licenses for both of those. Great, right? So if you already own Roots Magic 7 for Windows, you can head back to their website, rootsmagic.com, download Roots Magic 7 for Mac anytime and use the same registration key that you got with your original purchase. And something I really love about Roots Magic is the free and easy to access support that they provide their users. There's nothing worse than struggling to use your genealogy software when you're hot on the trail of ancestors, right? Well, they have just published two new free PDF Roots Magic user guides. One that's all about installing Roots Magic for Mac and another guide on how to create a shareable CD. So now you have lots of new things to do when it comes to Roots Magic. Um, be sure to head to the show notes for this episode, number 185, and there you'll find links to all these great resources. All right, well, coming up next, we're going to hear from you, and we will do that at the mailbox. Bring me a letter from my old hometown, one with some jokes from my old pal Jim. Bring me a letter from that girl of mine Saying that she's longing for me all the time Bring me a letter from my proud old dad Who knows that we are winning and I bet he's glad But more than any other As I said, this month we are celebrating 1,000 blog posts on the Genealogy Gems website. It's hard to believe that we're up to 1,000 different posts on family history news, tips, stories, and so much more. 
Who knew that there was so much to say, right? Well, our blog is only a drop in the genealogy blogging bucket. I keep hearing from so many of you about your blogging successes. So here's a taste of what I've been hearing. First, Diane commented on the Genealogy Gems Facebook page, I absolutely love blogging about my family. Once I got serious two years ago, I have really enjoyed it. I've connected with cousins and made new friends. I write tips to help other researchers, and that's also been very rewarding. It's a regular part of my life now, and I would really miss it if I couldn't write. And here's another one. Deborah wrote in to say, I've been reading about blogging for genealogy on your website and finally decided to bite the bullet and start one. Now I'm trying to figure out how to get it noticed. And I remembered that you asked us to send you the link if we started one. So here is the information. Her blog's called Desi Does It, and it's at desidoesit.blogspot.com. It's D-E-Z-I. Does it is D-U-Z-I-T. And it's at .blogspot.com. And I took a quick peek at it. It's still a young blog, but I have to say that Deborah is going about this in the right way. Her blog posts are packed with family names and locations that can help other relatives find her if they're searching for those same names and locations online. She's also got great stories and memories in her posts, which she's added documents and photos to. Um, People love seeing pictures in association with stories. So that's a great technique. And that content will keep interested relatives reading once they've discovered her, which might take some time, but it's worth it. A new podcast listener and blogger wrote to me recently. Yolanta is a Polish immigrant to Northern Ireland and a professional translator. And she says, I only just discovered podcast as a medium and your podcast in particular. I am loving it. Thank you, Yolanta. She says, love the book club, the tips and really everything about it. I drive a lot and it's recorded loud enough to comfortably listen in a car, unlike some other podcasts. And I still have quite a lot of shows to go, but I will be occupied for a while. She goes on to say, motivated by your show, I decided to take a plunge and start my own blog. I am not a native English speaker, but this is a way to challenge myself. I only have one post up so far and the next one nearly ready. But the more I listen to your podcast, the more ideas I have. And since she wrote to us, she's added more to her blog. You'll find it at genealogytranslator.com. And I am so pleased that the show is inspiring Yolanda because she's inspiring me. I mean, what a feat to blog in your second language. And and what a great way to kind of reinforce learning a second language. She says that as an immigrant, she feels doing her genealogy is even more important because since she left 11 years ago, her daughter has been born. And Yolanda says she needs to know where her roots are. And I couldn't agree more. Good for you, Yolanta. And thank you so much for writing in and sharing. So are you still listening? You haven't paused the podcast yet to go start your own blog or get back to the blogs you've already let go? Okay, I'll read you just a few more. A little bit of inspiration here. Another Deborah wrote in recently with this cool comment. She says, I'm fairly new to your podcast series. I enjoy listening while I work on my quilting projects. You've inspired me to start a family history blog as a starting base for writing on family history. Last week, I listened to one of your early podcasts on the subject of cold calling. I was amazed to hear how difficult it is for many people to reach out to others to help them with their research into their own family history. 
I took that topic and I wrote a blog entry about the first cold call that I remember. It has inspired me to write about more cold calls in the near future. I'd like to invite you to read that entry on my site, and her uh, address is dygenerations.com. And she says, thank you for your excitement and your inspirations. Well, you are very welcome, Deborah. And thank you so much for sharing your experience cold calling a distant relative. You know, Deborah talks about that it actually led to meeting that relative who introduced her to another relative who lived in the old family home, which had a family burial plot in her back garden. What a great contact and friendship that she talks about. So check it out, dygenerations.com. And I will link to Deborah's blog and to my cold calling episode that she was talking about. It's on the free Family History Genealogy Made Easy podcast. We'll have that for you in the show notes. And Mike from Sydney, Australia wrote to say, congratulations on a great podcast from Down Under. I listened to every episode during my travels to and from work. I recently watched your How to Blog Your Family History series on YouTube and became motivated to get on my butt and do something. Your recent episode 184 with Judy's blogging experience was the clincher. I have now proudly given birth to my first blog, familyarising.blogspot.com.au because Mike is down in Australia. He says it wasn't painful. It has only taken about 20 years since blogging has been around. Thank you for inspiring me and all your other listeners. You know, it feels so good to hear that so many people are getting into the spirit of blogging their family history, and it's never too late to start. I'm going to share one last letter from Chris, who wrote in after we announced the new Irish Catholic parish registers online from the National Library of Ireland. We announced that recently on the uh, Genealogy Gems blog. And Chris says, since you turned everyone on to this latest resource, I thought I'd share the results. And Chris sent me a link to her blog post about using these records. And that's where she reports, I was very lucky. I knew enough information to make a smart guess at exactly where to look. And within half an hour, I had baptismal records for three people in my dad's family. In fact, these relatives that she talks about have the surname Cook, just like my married name. So I might have to do a little bit of digging myself. You never know where my husband's cook line came from. Now, do you still need a little more motivation to get blogging? I came across a marketing blog post on the power of blogging for businesses. Well, as family historians, we are in the business of sharing our family history stories. So I think about things from that point of view when I hear the following taken from a post on HubSpot blogs. First, Businesses that blog attract two-thirds more potential customers than those who don't. Likewise, family historians who share their family history online can attract interest from lots of relatives, including those they've never met and those that they never knew were interested in family history. Second, blog posts can pull in new customers for businesses, whether you wrote them yesterday or a year ago. It's worth updating older blog posts with more current information and keeping your current contact information on your blog, even if you're not actively adding to it right now. And third, marketing experts say that by 2020, customers are expected to interact with about 85% of businesses without even talking to a human. Wow, (laughs) I think we're going to see some trending that direction in family history research too. 
Increasingly, our relatives are likely looking for their family history online first, not as much by reaching out to distant relatives and relatives of relatives by mail or phone, though I still encourage that cold calling approach that worked so well for Deborah. And fourth, the only thing blogging costs is time. And this speaks for itself. No expensive mailings or printing copies of books and photos, hoping that your relatives will pay you back. Fifth, and finally, blogs are considered a highly trusted source for accurate online information. The personal touch of a blog, together with your responsible research and the sources that you cite, can help your relatives trust what you're telling them. So, are you ready to launch your own family history blog? Or reinvigorate the one that you've already got? Then you'll want to take a look at a new web page that I've created. It's packed with resources on how to write a fantastic family history blog. And this is your incentive to head to the show notes for this episode, Genealogy Gems Podcast, episode number 185. Here's how you get there. If you are using the app, you'll find the show notes typed up right on the episode page. If you're at the website, hover your mouse over podcast and click on Genealogy Gems Podcast. We're talking about the free one. And you are going to click on episode 185. You'll find it there on the podcast page. And on that web page, you'll find all the notes for this particular episode. And that's where we can put the links for you and all the information that we talk about. So be sure and check out that link to our resource page, absolutely free on our Genealogy Gems website. Um, It's well worth your time. And, And believe you me, I want to see you be successful in your family history. And I truly believe that getting out there and posting your information in a family history blog is a key way to be out there networking on the web. You don't need thousands of followers. You just need the handful that you want to connect with and that you can share family history leads and research and stories with. So good luck, happy blogging, and be sure and check out the show notes for episode 185. You know, a few months ago, I heard from Richard. He said, I have been asked by my local genealogical society to conduct and present at the meeting in August. My thought for the class was internet genealogy and providing a comprehensive overview on how members and non-members can increase their sources and find hidden records online. Can I include images of your website and small clips of some of your online free videos as part of that presentation? I would, of course, include the source information and provide credit for you. I'm also planning to hype up your podcast as well, since it has given me a number of new outlooks on the best hobby in the world. Thank you again for your continued information and assistance in every media format known. (laughs) That's our goal. We're trying to be out there, the multimedia source for bringing all the best in genealogy to you. So thank you, Richard. And I'm really glad to hear that Richard wants to share genealogy gems with his local society. I've actually heard that from so many of you that I've created a new program to meet the need. Genealogy Gems for Societies, it's a premium subscription service. It's just for genealogical societies and groups like libraries. This is a cost-effective way for your group to enjoy my high-quality family history video presentations at your regular meetings. This is a pretty innovative idea. 
You know, people have uh, embraced webinars in the last couple of years, but I really think uh, we still struggle a little bit with internet connections and who's got Skype and who's got GoToMeeting and all those kinds of things. It's a little bit daunting. And for smaller organizations, it can be really tough because you can kind of tap out the local talent pool that's available to you. So what Genealogy Gems for Societies does is it gives you a year-long license to show video recordings of my most popular classes as group presentations. So normally, when you're a Genealogy Gems Premium member, that's an individual use license. This gives you the ability to show the videos in public and permission to republish articles and blog posts from our enormous online archive. Remember, we're up to like a thousand blog posts now. And you can do this in your society newsletter. And let me tell you, your newsletter editor will love you for this. (laughs) That's one of the toughest jobs in a genealogy society is putting together that weekly or monthly newsletter and having all the content to fill it up. We've got really great usable how-to content and information and inspiring stories. So why not leverage that, take advantage of it, and use our content to help fill your newsletter where you need it. Um, to provide really a a wide range of ideas and um, fill in some of the white space when you have some trouble getting people to submit their articles from your society. And Genealogy Gems for Societies includes discounts. This means for your society that if you want to book me to come in and do an all-day live seminar, we can do that and you'll get a discount on that, uh, which I never usually discount. And Also, for your members, they will get a discount that they can use on all their purchases over at our website, Genealogy Gems Store. So check it out. It's called Genealogy Gems for Societies. And of course, it's good for groups and libraries as well. And we have several libraries that are already using this as not only presentations to the public, but also as training videos for their reference staff who are assisting genealogists who come into the library. We are proud to be doing that. So head over to genealogygems.com and hover your mouse over societies in the menu. You'll find some links there. One will take you to a detail page with all the, the details about the package, how it works and where you can sign up for it. And the other one is a list of all the classes that are currently included in the Society and Group Package. So all the details are there. And of course, you can contact us here at Genealogy Gems. Uh, If you have any questions along the way as you get together with your board members and and folks to make a decision about including Genealogy Gems uh, as part of your ongoing programming and training for your various societies, groups, and libraries. And we're thrilled to be able to offer this solution. Bring me a letter from my proud old dad Who knows that we are winning And I'll bet he's glad
You know, I always advise people to keep their master family trees at home on their own computers, not online. The family tree software I recommend is Roots Magic, and I'm pleased to announce that Roots Magic 7 is out and it's better than ever. Now, what do I love most about this new update? It's got to be the automatic hinting feature. It's like Google Alerts for genealogy websites. Roots Magic now automatically searches sites like Family Search and MyHeritage for possible matches to your tree. You're going to see light bulb hints appear whenever a match is found. Clicking the light bulb will open a web browser with matching records. They've got new accounts that let you easily publish and maintain multiple trees online, whether publicly or privately. And data management is easy with the new data clean feature that helps you quickly find and fix possible problems with names and places. Or use the file compare feature to look at two different trees side by side and transfer information between them. These are just some of the dozens of new enhancements. You can give it a try right away with no risk with the free edition called Roots Magic 7 Essentials. So, what are you waiting for? Go to rootsmagic.com. You'll see pretty quickly why professionals and beginners alike choose Roots Magic. You know, now that I've moved to Texas and what they lovingly call Tornado Alley, I'm more aware than ever that if anything ever happened to my genealogy files, I would be devastated. And boy, have my files expanded since I started this research at the ripe old age of eight years old. As genealogists, we don't just have paper files anymore, but we also have digital files like our genealogy database and precious old photos that we've spent hours scanning. No matter where we upload our family tree or anything else relating to our family history on the web, the responsibility for the total safety and security of our files lies with us. That's why I'm so proud to announce that Backblaze is now the official backup of Lisa Louise Cook and Genealogy Gems. For the past few years, I've been researching and I've been test driving backup services, and hands down, Backblaze is my choice. It's certainly the easiest service to use. And I love their free app that allows me to access all my files on my smartphone and my tablet. Plus, it backs up everything, including my video files. Yikes, I didn't realize before looking at Backblaze that other services skip over backing up videos. So don't wait another day to ensure that all your files are safe and secure. Back them up like I do with Backblaze. Head to backblaze.com slash Lisa and scroll down. You'll see my smiling face there and a great offer. Just $50 bucks for a year's peace of mind and the best cloud backup around. Go to backblaze.com slash Lisa. Episode I've arranged for a very special gem segment that contributing editor Sonny Morton recorded with George Ella Lyon, the poet laureate of Kentucky. George Ella Lyon, whose own poem on family identity has inspired hundreds of people to write their own and has even become an official statewide initiative in Kentucky. 
One of those who wrote their own version of the poem was Sonny's own 11-year-old son, Alex. So enjoy the conversation and listen for that writing invitation that I told you was coming. Hi, this is Sunny Morton here to chat today with a poet who has made part of her life's work helping others define their personal and family history with a unique and fun exercise. George Ella Lyon, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be part of it. So you have done something really special and unique with your Where I'm From initiative. Tell us a little bit more about where I'm from and where it comes from. Well, I began my poem in response to another poem, a poem by a friend of mine named Joe Carson, and her poem was about not being from a place, but feeling like you belong there uh, and not having the right accent. So people would hear you speak and say, oh, you're not from here, even though you felt like it was your home. So after I heard her poem, I thought, well, I'm going to write one about where I am from because I grew up in the mountains of Kentucky and lived there until I went to college and my mother lived there uh, the rest of her life. So it was a very rooted experience for me growing up. So my poem is basically a list of experiences uh, and people that I'm from. And uh, uh, I wrote it over maybe three weeks in 1993, I just kept making lists and then I would pick out what went together and shaped it that way. And when I did this as an exercise with teachers, they took off with it. And it has since uh, been with the rise of the Internet. um, It's gone around the world. Uh, It's awesome to me that people do it, you know, in other languages, in other countries. It's been used in prisons, in refugee camps, uh, because where we're from is a crucial part of our identity. And because it's a list, basically the structure is not intimidating, and our our memories are natural images so that it gets us right into the heart of poetry, and, and people are surprised at what they write uh, to hear their voice. And so it it continues to be very rich. And now that I'm the Kentucky Poet Laureate with the Arts Council, I've launched this project, a uh, statewide project for people to write where I'm from and have a local reading on Kentucky Writers Day and then select a poem at random, which will come to the Arts Council and will be posted on the website. So you'll be able to... Uh, read or link to a video or audio of a poem from every one of the 120 counties in Kentucky. So it will be uh, Kentucky where we're from. And that's pretty exciting, too. That's very exciting. Congratulations on being Um, the State Poet Laureate. That's so exciting. Thank you. Georgiello, would you read your poem for us, your version of Where I'm From? I'd be glad to. One thing in the poem needs a little explanation, and that's the carbon tetrachloride. Uh, it's a chemical that used to be used in dry cleaning, and my father was a dry cleaner, so okay. uh, that, that's where it comes from. Where I'm from, I am from clothespins, from Clorox and carbon tetrachloride. I am from the dirt under the back porch, 
black, glistening. It tasted like beets. I am from the forsythia bush, the Dutch elm, whose long-gone limbs I remember as if they were my own. I'm from fudge and eyeglasses, from Imogene and Alifair. I'm from the know-it-alls and the pass-it-ons, from perk up and pipe down. I'm from he restoreth my soul with the cotton ball lamb and ten verses I can say myself. I'm from Artemis and Billy's Branch, fried corn and strong coffee, from the finger my grandfather lost to the auger, the eye my father shut to keep his sight. Under my bed was a dress box spilling old pictures, a sift of lost faces to drift beneath my dreams. I am from those moments snapped before I budded, leaf fall from the family tree. That's really beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. So, Georgella, I I honestly, I first learned about where I'm from when my own fifth grade son, Alex, came home from school with with his own version of the poem. Um, It was so striking to me as mom. It was it was deeply moving. And I asked him where the inspiration came from. So then I went and found you online. That's how I got to you. So I asked Alex to read it for us. He's at school today, so he won't be reading live. Um, I'm inserting his, this recording of him reading it for us. And here is his version. Where I'm From by Alex Morton. I'm from Legos, clay and books, and art and 3D puzzles, maps and architectural designs. I'm from Family Home Evening and Do Your Homework. I'm from audiobooks, from listening to a guitar and piano in the background. I'm from pizza, spaghetti, lasagna, from apples, oranges, and salad. I'm from Sonny Jane and Jeremy Morton, from Cheryl, Richard, John, and Donna. I'm from Euclid, Ohio, on Parkwood Drive. I'm from scrapbooks and pictures, from family trees, the stories of my life. It was really moving to me to see Alex's young life through his eyes. He's 11 years old. Uh, But, Georgella, as the Where I'm From guru, what do you think is interesting or meaningful about Alex's version of this poem? Well, the first thing that struck me was him as a maker. That is, he starts with I'm from Legos and then clay and books and art and 3D puzzle, maps and architecture. He's not just watching a video or something. I see him as a creative person. And then the family home evening, I mean, that's the third line in the third line. So it's clear that family is really central to him as our books and music. And those are things I really identify with. He, he seems like he has a strong sense of himself and is very grounded. And, ba- and there's a real balancing, a balanced feeling to the poem. He sounds like a very interesting guy to me. This poem captured him beautifully. He is a real creator, um, but he's also a real homebody, and I think that really captured him. And my boys are grown now, but Legos were a major part of every birthday and Christmas, and I've still got their Legos are still coming out from under the furniture. You know how it is. 
Yes, uh, I do. They, they hide in uh, in heater vents, and uh, so I, that's that's very familiar territory for me, and and uh, nostalgic. So I think that it's interesting that this poem can both communicate a sense of who he is and evoke some nostalgia from the rest of us who, if anything that he mentioned was was that part of our lives also. I grew up with five brothers and there were Legos oh. everywhere oh all my the goodness. time. I guess so. so that's that's something that we've carried on from the previous generation also. I know a lot of our listeners are also readers and some maybe there some are writers also of family history and uh, bloggers. So what tips do you have for our listeners who would want to write their own versions of where I'm from? Well, the first thing I would say is that it's a process rather than thinking you have to create the last draft to begin with. Just let yourself be immersed in the process. Just list whatever comes to your mind. Don't worry about the order. Just think about the foods and the music and the landscape and the people, the sayings of your family. Anything that comes to you, put it down and get as much as you can and then go back and see which lines have the most energy for you. And do this over several days. Don't try to do it in one session because as you come back to it, you'll remember more and you'll have let yourself have fun with it. And then you can look for what seems like a beginning and what seems like a closing. Or you may do, as, as I did in my poem, the very last part of the poem is kind of a reflection on what went before. It, it changes the list pattern, but you don't have to do that. And the other thing I would say is read it out loud because poetry is, first of all, something for the ear, and that'll help you choose. Um, have fun. You can't go wrong because it's your story. <laughs> that's really true. Yeah. There's well, nobody to tell us that it's wrong. No, no, that's right. And. And so it's as individual as your, you know, as your fingerprint, uh, you're where I'm from. And you can do it many times too. You know, it'll be different. I've done, I've done many over the years and you, your perspective changes and you can do it from where you're from right now or from where you were from, you know, looking back. My brother just sent me one that he wrote and it's about where he was from the town where we grew up, but where, where he's from now if he goes back there because it's changed so much. You know, it has that dual perspective. There's just all kinds right. of ways uh, you can you can make it your own. I love that, you know, even though this is a poem and a, the, the final product that we write will hopefully be something kind of beautiful to listen to, I like the format that you talk about of just creating lists and not worrying too much about being a poet, right? No. Trying to do a poet's work, but just think about the, your own images, make your own lists, and make this really an expression of who you are um, rather than trying to fit it into a, a, a poetry structure from the very beginning. That's neat. Exactly, exactly. And for any kind of writing, it's really important not to engage your critical self in the early stages of it. You'll need that person later, you know, to, to make some decisions. But if you start criticizing it at the beginning, you'll freeze up. You want to be open and uh, you want to be your own champion, not your not your critic. 
that's really good encouragement. And I hope that many of you listeners will uh, listen to that and write your own version of where I'm from. And if you like, share it with us here at Genealogy Gems. You can email it to us or post it on the Genealogy Gems Facebook page or put it on your own blog and send us a link. I'll put our contact information in the show notes. We may ask to share a few of these in the future with everyone, uh, just as Georgella is sharing with the entire state of Kentucky. Uh, You can learn more about Georgella Lyon and her poetry, and specifically her Where I'm From poem and initiative on her website, www.georgellalyon.com. There will be a link in the show notes. And Georgella, thank you so much for being with us today and for inspiring us with your work. Well, you are so welcome, and thank you for your interest, for contacting me, and uh, happy writing. And, and do tell Alex hi for me and how much I like you, Colin. I will do that. Thank you. As Sunny said, I would love to share your version of George Ella Lyon's poem here on Genealogy Gems. So I've got a very special invitation for you. You are invited to call in to our voicemail line. It's 925-272-4021. When you call in, leave your name, your email address, and your phone number. Then take a short little pause and read your poem. Now, I know not everybody's a big performer. You don't have to be a performer. You just have to be somebody who can sincerely read the poem that they've written. I'd love to know where you come from. And I know that uh, there are going to be many people out there listening who will enjoy hearing that too. We're all one big family here at Genealogy Gems. And I'm really excited to hear what you're going to come up with. Hey, Alex did it. And I know you can too. Um, What I want you to do is, like I said, call in and share your poem. And I'm going to be um, accepting these all the way through the end of December 31st, 2015. It gives you lots of time to write your poem and call in and to read it on the voicemail. On New Year's Eve, I'm going to be randomly selecting one of you who called in and shared your poem, and you'll be receiving a full year Genealogy Gems premium membership. If you're already a premium member, you're going to get an extra year tacked right on to the end of it to continue on. And if you aren't, you now will be. So one lucky winner is going to get a Genealogy Gems premium membership. Start thinking about where you come from, write it down. Give us a call at 925-272-4021. Remember, leave your name, your phone number, your email address, and then read your poem for us. And uh, we won't include, obviously, your email and your phone number in the recording. We will edit that out. So no worries. We'll protect your privacy. But we are really looking forward to hearing where you come from. point in the past, many, if not most, of our relatives spoke a different language than we do today. And that means that records about their lives were created in other languages, too, like church records in Latin, for example. Well, these language barriers can become huge brick walls in our genealogy research. 
we don't know how to translate ancestors' names or we can't read the language that the record is written in. Well, MyHeritage.com has just launched a new technology. It's called Global Name Transition to address this problem. Now you can search for historical records at MyHeritage in one language and receive relevant results from other languages automatically translated for you. So let's say you're searching for the name Alex. The system will search for variations like Alessandro and Alejandro and Aleski and even Sasha, which is a popular Russian nickname for Alexander. This technology is also integrated into MyHeritage matching technologies, so subscribers will begin receiving transliterated matches from other languages. The initial release of MyHeritage's global name translation works with English and most major European and Romance languages. They're working on Chinese, Japanese, and more. That they can do this not just across languages, but also across diverse alphabets is mind-boggling. But I'm not surprised this is coming from MyHeritage. After all, one of their strengths that I love is their worldwide focus. Their platform serves over 40 languages, and their historical records and trees are arguably the most diverse available in the genealogy world. That's one reason that we are so proud that MyHeritage is a sponsor of the Genealogy Gems podcast, because our listeners and readers like you live all over the world and certainly have roots from all over the world. I know I do. Head to MyHeritage.com and get started today for free. That's MyHeritage.com. Welcome, Genealogy Gems podcast listeners. I am Diane Southard, your DNA guide, with DNA tips you can use in your genealogy. Facebook follower Kate Vaughn recently wrote in expressing her frustration with the ethnicity results provided by autosomal DNA testing company Ancestry.com. She gets right to the point when she writes, the way they refer to the results is confusing. Kate, you're not alone. Many genealogists have been lured into taking the autosomal DNA test at one of the three major DNA testing companies with the hope of securing a glimpse into their past. Remember that the autosomal DNA test can reveal information about both your mother's side and your father's side of your family tree. Many take the test looking for confirmation of a particular ancestral heritage. Others are just curious to see what the results will show. Though their purposes in initiating the test may vary, the feeling of bewilderment and befuddlement upon receiving the results is fairly universal. Kate has some specific questions about her results that I think most of you will share. Let's take a look at a couple of them. First up, Kate wants to know if our family tree data in any way influences the ethnicity results provided. The answer is an unequivocal no. None of the testing companies look at your family tree in any way when determining your ethnicity results. However, the results are dependent on the family trees of the reference populations. The reference populations are made up of large numbers of people who have their family history documented for many generations in that particular region. The data from these reference populations create genetic patterns that represent their region. The testing companies compare your results to theirs, looking for the patterns in your data that will connect you to that region. Next, Kate asks, quote, do they mean England when they report Great Britain, end quote? Or to put it more broadly, how do these testing companies decide to divide up the world? 
All of the companies handle this a little bit differently. Let's look at Ancestry as an example. When you log in to view your ethnicity results, you can click on the Show All Regions box below your results to get a list of all the possible categories that your DNA could be placed in. At Ancestry, these 26 categories include nine African regions, three Asian regions, eight European regions, two Pacific Island regions, two West Asian regions, Native American, and lastly, Jewish, which is not a region per se, but it is a genetically distinct group. Clicking on each individual location in the left sidebar will bring up more information on the right about that region. For example, clicking on Great Britain tells us that DNA associated with this region is primarily found in England, Scotland, and Wales. But, and this is a big but, it is also found in Ireland, France, Germany, Denmark, Belgium, Netherlands, Switzerland, Austria, and Italy. Basically, this is telling us that people with generations of ancestry in Great Britain are quite a genetic mix from many areas. Ancestry goes on to tell us that if we are to test the DNA of 100 natives of one of these primary regions, England, Scotland, or Wales, then 50 of them will have the Great Britain pattern of DNA covering 60% or more of their entire genome, and 50 of them will have that pattern in less than 60% of their DNA. The fact that this halfway number is so low, only 60%, tells us that there's a lot of uncertainty in this ethnicity estimate because there's so much mixture in this region. Kate, for you, that means that when you see Great Britain in your ethnicity estimate, it could mean England, or maybe it means Italy. But ancestry can't be certain. But that uncertainty isn't the same for every region. You can also look at the ethnicity chart for Ireland. You can see that half of the people who are native to Ireland will have 95% or more of this special Irish DNA pattern. Kate, for us, that means that if you have Irish DNA in your results, you can be pretty certain it came from Ireland. From these tables, you can see your membership in some regions is more robust than others, and Ancestry is using these tables to try to help us tell the difference. In the end, the ethnicity results reported by each DNA testing company are highly dependent on two factors. First, the reference populations they use to compare your DNA against, and second, the statistical algorithms they use to compute your similarities to these populations. Every company is doing both of these things just a little bit differently. So Kate, if you want to get another take on your ethnicity results, receive a second opinion as it were, you can take your data over to Family Tree DNA, or you can be tested at 23andMe. A free option is to head over to GEDmatch and try out their various ethnicity tools. If you need help downloading and transferring, you can head over to my website and click on, I've had my DNA tested, what now? and there you will discover your transferring options. Most people have found that after searching in multiple places that their true ethnicity results are probably somewhere in the middle. 
While these ethnicity results can be interesting and useful, for most, they'll just be a novelty, something interesting and exciting. I've found that their most useful application is acting like a fly on a fishing line. They attract our family members to DNA testing, where we can then set the hook on the real goal, family history. Thanks again for joining me, and I'll see you next time right here at Genealogy Gems. I'm Diane Southerd, your DNA guide. Profile America, Wednesday, October 28th. One of the nation's enduring symbols, the Statue of Liberty, was dedicated on Bedloe's Island in New York Harbor on this date in 1886. A gift from France, the statue's full name is Liberty Enlightening the World and is the work of sculptor Frédéric Auguste Bartholdi. France also was the country of origin of a bit under 12,000 of the 334,000 immigrants arriving that year. The statue was the first glimpse of America for more than 20 million immigrants who came through nearby Ellis Island, chiefly from Ireland, Germany, Italy, and Poland. In 1910, the year of the greatest influx, some 15% of the U.S. population was foreign-born. Today, that figure is nearly 13%, or over 40 million people. You can find more facts about America's people, places, and economy from the American Community Survey at census.gov. You know, each of those immigrants to the U.S. and each of our other ancestors from all over the world has a unique story of migration or change, loss and love, being favored by fate or not so favored. All the stories I find and all the stories I hear and read about from you tell me that we have so much to learn from our ancestors' lives, so much to be inspired by. Their stories shape us, and in doing so, become part of our stories. That gives us double the stories to tell. I invite you to get sharing those stories. If you aren't already, blog if that works for you, because the world is your audience. Or write something else and share it in another way. Put together a short biography of a fascinating ancestor. Transcribe an old diary or interview. Write about your research journey and how your findings inspired you. However you most want to share it, just do it. Your own legacy will live on. The legacies of those who love from the past will live on. And legacies of those yet to come will benefit from that which you've left for them. Thanks so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.